0: Welcome to the Brand Design Masters podcast, the show dedicated to helping you build the skills you need to design bulletproof brands for yourself, your business, and for the clients and customers you serve. And now, here's Philip. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Brand Design Masters podcast. This is Philip Van Dusen. I'm here today with Matthew Matola. Matthew's the co-founder and CEO of Venture L, the leading platform for freelancers to run their business, and co-author of the upcoming book, The Human Cloud. Matthew also used to work at Microsoft and did a joint partnership with Upwork, where they built the Microsoft 365 Freelance Kit. And that helped unlock for enterprises the ability to embrace the human cloud. And with that, I welcome Matthew. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Philip. So, Matthew, you have a book coming out. It's not actually out, or is it out, called The uh, the Human Cloud? Yeah, January 26th. Oh, wow. Upcoming. You must be excited. We're prepping not to
1: sleep from January 1st
0: to 15th, so. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so are you self-publishing, a traditional publisher? What's the deal? Uh, HarperCollins. Nice. Nice. What are they demanding of you in terms of, you know, most people are self-publishing these days. I was approached by HarperCollins to write a book and I put them off for a year or so because I'm not really sure exactly what I want to do for them. When they ran me through the process, I was like, "Oh my god, it's like, you know, the outline and the approval by the board and all this sort of stuff." Tell us about that a little bit. Yeah. So,
1: it's it's a good question. Uh, everyone asked, like, why didn't you self-publish and especially with the whole theme of, you know, democratizing access to opportunity and anyone can now get a book up there, so why would you You know, sell out to the evil publishers. Um, So, great question. Uh, We were very, very, very intentional about wanting to go with a publisher. And I think we actually are a little bit contrarian. And we do believe in traditional establishments, whether it comes down to universities, large companies, and even publishers, we do believe there's a role for these, you know, big organizations. Uh, They know what they're doing. And so I think that was the first thing was we really, really wanted to learn. We knew that we are not the experts in publishing. Uh, And we also, you know, to to kind of put a blunt, we we didn't look at this as a giant moneymaker. We look at this as a long-term play that will, you know, this book will last for the next 10 plus years. Uh, We built it in a way that wasn't a quick hit for the next five where it's, you know, super sexy and gimmicky. It's actually very, very long-term written. Um, and so it actually took us over a year to get the publisher. And I think that's something that as part of the book was a big you know, principle for us was, yeah, we, we took a big, big cut, to be honest, uh, just just getting there. Um, but in terms of what was required from us, to be honest, we did it all on our own. Um, the, the one thing that we did that I wouldn't recommend, but uh, if you want to get something done, this is kind of how you have to do it. But we told them we had a book already done and we'd have, a, you know, have it, you have it fully ready for them in six months. We we didn't, um, but yeah. thank God for freelancers. We uh, yeah we had it we had it done in in seven months I think it was, and uh, we had over fifteen freelancers though
0: everything. Wait, so you were a month late? You told them to be ready in six months, and you said it took seven. They luckily gave us a contract that had seven months. <laughs>
1: oh, okay. okay, so it, I'll never forget the day. I think it was January twenty first of last year. Uh, we had it, yeah. Oh, we had it ready for them. I think it was midnight the night before. Um, but yeah, yeah, I know that's. Just a heads up, for anyone writing a book, it takes way longer than a year.
0: <laughs> yeah, there you go. So, but yeah. Note to self. So tell, tell us about the book. What's the human cloud about?
1: Yeah, so it's it's deeper than freelancing. It's deeper than you'll hear in the title. It's actually about artificial intelligence as well. Uh, it's talking about the, the massive transformational trend from physical full-time offices to digital, remote, outcome-based models of work, and the sort of master-master thesis is that you can do so much more with so much less. And what we really, you know, want to get get across is that whether you are a freelancer yourself, whether you are a business leader, whether you are building a business, you need to embrace both the freelance economy and artificial intelligence or you know computation to really, really produce more with less. Uh, one of the major examples that, if you're a super techie you know about is uh, Instagram was bought with 16 people for I think it was a billion dollar acquisition. That's insanity. And if you sort of replicate that, we think about freelance, you can be an individual doing what used to require a full company for you to do. And I think one of the things with the way that we look at in the book is there's three ways to embrace freelancing. You can work as a freelancer, which unlocks access to opportunity, meaning you can work wherever you want. You have more control over it. You can also tap into freelancers. So you can be a freelancer yourself and you can partner with other freelancers. You can augment your own skill set. You can augment how much you can do. And then sort of the third way to engage with the freelance economy is you can build your business around it. And so us at Venturel, you know, we're a young scrappy startup. And so we tap into freelancers all the time. We have, you know, very, very talented individuals all around the world doing work that to be honest, we could not outcompete a Microsoft or a Google to get this talent. So yeah, that's the general trend of the book is we can do more with less. And whether you're a freelancer, whether you're hiring freelancers, whether you're building a new business, you really, really, really need to take advantage of this new transformation you know to digital remote outcome-based models.
0: So for a freelancer or someone who's an independent consultant, designer, creative professional, entrepreneur, how can they leverage the human cloud? Yeah, so step
1: one is you can work No different than we all do, except you adjust to digital remote models. If we think about sort of what is work, well, work is getting the work, work is doing an awesome job, and work is the follow-up. And so in terms of getting the work, the human cloud now enables you to connect with anyone around the world. And I actually, for me, to to form a lot deeper relationships. Um, At the second level, right, of actually getting the work done, now you can do everything digitally. You can tap into other freelancers to get the work done. And then from a post, you can sort of establish a digital identity that used to be just a paper resume. And I think that's something that sort of... we It's kind of under underrated and underestimated, and we haven't truly appreciated how impactful it is that we can have a LinkedIn, we can have a website, we can have a blog. There's so many ways to add value in today's world. It's insane. And so from a freelancer perspective... Really what you were doing, whether in the office or whether as a consultant in sort of a physical office, you can now, you know, 10X your results in a digital, remote, and
0: outcome-based, outcome-based way. So you said, you said very quickly something, a phrase that I thought was really interesting. You said, moving away from the outcome model of success. And so what, what does that mean? Good question. So I would actually
1: reframe that. And I would say moving away from the resume model of success.
0: Okay. Yes.
1: Because I think, you know, when, when we, at least what I was told going to school, right, was you have a beautiful paper resume, you keep it within one page, you have all the buzzwords of five plus years of experience here, you have to sort of check off all these checkboxes. In a sort of freelance environment, the client doesn't care. The client, all they care about is what can you do, how long is it going to take, and how much is it going to cost? And so your resume can be 20 pages, but the difference when you're talking about a digital environment is you have to curate it for the client. Right, so it's not a 20 page resume, it's a, oh, you're a client within the FinTech space, check out these three projects that I also did in the FinTech space. Here's the KPI that we increased by 200%. It'll take two weeks and this is how much it'll cost. Um, so I would, yeah, I would reframe it around there if we're going from sort of, you know, the resume-based society to an outcome-based society.
0: So something very interesting has happened in the, since you wrote this book, which is that the entire world has moved to the human cloud. And so talk a little bit about like, you know, what your point of view was when you were writing this initially and then how that might have evolved or what you see in terms that, you know, if you were to add a chapter, you had the opportunity to add a chapter to the human cloud about like what COVID's done, what would that chapter look like?
1: Okay. You know, what's funny about this is my co-author and I, and this is where having a traditional publisher actually was great. So my co-author and I, we were freaking out. We were like, okay, do we have, do we add on a chapter? Do we add on a forward about this? And this is where the publishers actually were like, "Calm down, your book is written for ten plus years, and guess what? What you said, you know, what you said today is going to be true tomorrow and in five years. And so stick to, you know, stick to what you've already written. So we actually were not adding a chapter.
0: They're like, we're not adding a chapter for you.
1: No, yeah, I mean, maybe they were like, we just don't want to spend money on no, the no. No. <laughs> right? presses are but, running. Sorry, but but I actually uh, really really like. You know, I appreciated the pushback because COVID really hasn't changed anything. It's simply accelerated. And even pre-COVID, if we look at some of the boring stats, uh, enterprises, the increase in spend on freelancers was I think around 23%. Uh, people were already predicting that in the next seven years, over half the workforce was going to be freelance. Uh, some of the numbers were insane, right? In terms of, I think like 67% of freelancers are choosing, and this, you know, the, the the range of of skills done by freelance was increasing. And so all this stuff, you know, when we wrote the book, like we didn't obviously expect a global pandemic, but Everything we wrote about is coming true just faster. Now, it's not all positive though. And I think that's something that we really, really have to have a discussion about as a society. And there's sort of one major high-level thing that that sort of the term we use is we call it the amplification effect. The freelance economy and these models, they're not good, they're not bad. They're just a technology. And technology is value neutral. And so the good and bad things that we've reflected in old work and inherent within the models just get amplified. What I mean by that, is if you add value in a full-time role, you're going to do better than you did in a fr- with with a freelance model. Like uh, vice versa, if you didn't add much value in a full-time role, you're going to be hurting worse in a freelance economy model. Now there's also some fundamental flaws that we have to talk about. I know, you know, we've discussed this. There's also sort of a race to the bottom that's been amplified by this. And so, what did we not expect? We didn't expect this to go from moving say, you know, yay fast to just uh, gangbusters. So yeah, we, we wouldn't add anything, but we would make sure we, I guess, highlighted a bunch of, a bunch of different sentences.
0: <laughs> this episode of the brand design masters podcast is sponsored by bring your own laptop. BYOL.me is a top tier Adobe application video training website featuring Daniel Scott. Daniel's a certified Adobe trainer and keynote speaker at the Adobe max conference every year. At byol.me forward slash Philip, you can learn everything from the basics to advanced aspects of your favorite Adobe applications, all for one low monthly subscription fee. Visit byol.me forward slash Philip, P H I L I P. Again, that's byol.me forward slash Philip. I just know you're going to be amazed at Bring Your Own Laptops courses. That, that term, race to the bottom, I use a lot. I mean, we, in the creative world, um, anything that can be digital, that could be sound, photography, design, can be, you know, commoditized. Because now with the global economy made so much easier by remote work and, you know, our digital access to a, a global workforce, there's been huge downward pricing pressure on the creative industry. And there are a lot of people struggling with that. And I, you know, I'd love to hear you talk a little bit about that kind of larger macro um, issue with remote work and the globalization of the entire—not just the creative profession, but the entire economy.
1: Yeah. So I'm going to tell you sort of at first the solution to this, and then I'm going to give you a little bit of a why of why this, why we even see a race to the bottom. So when I think about the sort of solution, right, because. I personally have a view where you can't change the system. You have to understand how to work within the system. So I'm not going to give any advice that is like, let's just, you know, shatter, shatter the system. Um, the first the first thing, the solution for all of this though, that I've, in my experience, has been the relationship. Even if there's a race to the bottom, and even with things like automation, the relationship is by far the most important thing that you can do. And if you have a good relationship with your clients, and generally as a freelancer, you don't want a million clients, right? You want five to 15 really, really good clients. So once you're able to get into the door and establish that relationship, a lot of these problems like a race to the bottom don't necessarily exist. So that's the high-level solution, right? No matter what happens, if you're forming deep relationships with your clients, if you can talk about ways to do that, then you're generally sort of protected from a lot of these you know, scary things from the amplification effect. Now, with that said, why is there a race to the bottom? If you think about a freelance platform model, inherently, I would argue there's a design flaw that perpetuates this race to the bottom. And what that is, is that it's a two-sided marketplace where you have suppliers, which are all the freelancers, and you have buyers. Now, in a sort of full-time company mode, right, you have an HR department, you have a bunch of resumes, you have conversations as interviews. And so a lot of the bad race to the bottom things get mitigated just because there's too many transaction costs to do that. Now, you take a software platform and you basically take away all that friction. And what you do is you replace sort of an HR department and a lot of those things in the middle with a bidding system meaning no different than eBay where you know you you a, a buyer or like reverse eBay a buyer puts up a post and says this is what i need and now a million people on the supply side say i'll do it for 10 dollars i'll do it for 9 dollars i'll do it for 8 dollars and there's no controls to protect against the fact that you know, if you're sitting in the US, you can't do it for $3. Likewise, if you're sitting in Singapore versus Vietnam, you're going to get outbid. So it creates this, pair, you know, this this just domino effect. And so that's why I would argue sort of inherent a lot of models, you know, freelance platform models have this. Now, with that said, you know, happy to get deeper into, you know, how I've seen that play out um, and sort of one of the, some of the things in the way. But I always like to sort of finish with the positive of even though there's this race to the bottom the relationships are what sort of mitigate and help you to not have these these you know, horrible situations.
0: I completely agree with you, number one. And that's why I'm always encouraging creative professionals to kind of up their game in terms of their ability to talk about business, to interact with their clients on a much deeper level of business partnership and advise them on a broader span of things than they may themselves be delivering to them. And that deepens that relationship and also deepens that level of conversation, which is hard to replicate, as you said, as you go globally. Is there a way in this digital freelance marketplace? I mean, one of the problems when you work with a marketplace like that is that you don't, you hardly ever know what you're getting. Even if you look at sometimes people's portfolio, you don't know where they're getting their design resources, you don't know where they're getting their, their, uh, stock photography or whatever they say that they're actually owning. They might not. They might be stealing it from somebody else. So how do you establish kind of a value tier, like the highest level value freelancer who has the best portfolio, the mid-level tier, the you know, lower, the beginner level that you're comfortable paying you know $10 to or whatever? But if you want stellar level work, you know that you're not going to want any, to deal with the bidding system because you're not going to get the best person. That kind of leads me into the conversation about VentureL. So VentureL is, to a certain extent, a platform, right, for freelancing. How are you guys addressing that if you are?
1: So great, great question. I don't think, and this is where I'm biased, I don't think that an open marketplace can make this happen. And so an early decision we made is that we are not going to be a marketplace. We are going to make money off of the freelancers. We are going to have a SaaS model that charges 30 bucks a month. And so we don't have sort of a misaligned incentive in terms of needing a transaction fee between sort of the clients and the freelancers. All we care about is, are we serving only the freelancers? So that's sort of how we mitigated it from the start, was we made sure that our financial incentives were lined up 100% with the freelancers' uh, own incentives. With that said, the secret or the recipe to having sort of these you know top-tier relationships, is no different than when you have a business and i think that's one of the things that is funny about freelancing is a lot of times we like to talk about it like it's different. it's it's really not right there's a lot of similarities and so when we think about how do you position yourself as the top tier well number one you need proof number two you need good processes number three you need actual good outcomes and so when i think about sort of where venture fits is we're not going to tell you how to run your business in any way shape and the form But we know based off of our collective experience, what is required for you to be the best freelance business. And so we will give you tools to empower you. But at the end of the day, you're an expert. You don't need us. We just know we can make your life better. So that's sort of how we address
0: it. So as a client coming to your platform, looking for freelancers to get some work done, what are the mechanisms that help them choose the best freelancer?
1: So right now, we don't even handle it. We refuse. Uh, clients have come to us, and we said no. Uh, we've they've we've like informally connected just based off the fact that we know our all of our freelancers and have a good relationship. But very intentionally, we will not be doing that. You know, maybe we'll think about it in you know two to five plus years, depending on how things look. But we always want to actually be if you think about it. We always want to be the intel. What I mean by that is, we never ever ever want a freelancer to say, "Hey, I got this job from Venturel." We want a freelancer to say, I would have got this job anyways, but just like my computer running off Intel, I'm 10x better because I have VentureL behind me. With that said, we do have trust from corporate clients just based off of our collective experience that if you're working with VentureL freelancers, they know that they're professional and they know that they're serious. But we very, very intentionally do not do the connection
0: right now. Oh, okay. So... Tell me about the functionality of VentureL. What, what actually is the platform do? So with or without us, there's three sort of pillars to scale a freelance
1: business. And VentureL bases our software around every single activity. So the first pillar is you need to have a strong freelancer network, specifically to collaborate with, so to team up, to refer work to, so you can say yes to everything, and then to grow and develop together. So that's the first pillar, whether you know, with or without us, you need to have that. The second pillar is strong client operations. So you need to be able to consistently under-promise and over-deliver. Yet, you're going to have more than three projects rolling at once. Once All your clients are probably working on different systems. Maybe you're in you know Trello for one, Asana for one, Microsoft Teams for another. And so how in the world are you going to organize everything, delegate, task manage, file share, all that kind of stuff? Third pillar to run a successful freelance business is you need strong business operations. So the more work you take on, the better you need to get. And what usually happens when you start your freelance journey is from six months to a year, you are flying high. You're making more money than you ever had. You're working wherever you want and things look so, so great. But then after a year, you've realized I've been working 80 hours a week for the past three weeks. I'm burnt out of my mind and I'm now doing mostly admin or operations work. So the sort of third pillar that you have to do is you have to actually build in business operations. Now you, I mean, you know, right, with PepsiCo and your your background in agencies, agencies have great processes. And so you need to be able to start to have processes in your business that create efficiencies. And so one of those processes is, let's say you're a really good designer and you're bringing in fellow freelancers, you can't just say, hey, can you do this? You have to have things like brand guidelines, specific client collateral, past experiences of what looks good. Um, Other examples is when you think about sort of the client intake process, most freelancers know this after a year, you you don't want to talk to every single potential client. You want to make sure you filter from the start. And so little things like, how are you consistently updating and iterating and evolving all your operations? So at VentureL, sort of what we do is we understand that right and and like i said with or without us the the secret to success for a freelance business is strong freelancer networks strong client operations strong business operations all we do is we you know wake up every single day and ask what features can we build with you that are going to enable you to be 10x better by allowing you to be that freelancer at scale
0: that's it so in the center of that of your three of your three pillars is the is the thing that a lot of creative professionals who are independent contractors, freelancers struggle with, which is the multiple communication platform conundrum, which is, you know, like you said, a tre- Trello, Asana, Google Docs. You know, every c- client has a different way of wanting to communicate. You may have freelancers who are partnering with other freelancers. They use Slack and somebody else uses something else or Facebook Messenger, whatever that is. How does VentureL help um, kind of... Uh, congeal or or kind of bring together or you know fix that that incredible kind of unherded cat's aspect of the tools that we use
1: yeah so first thing we bring everything under one roof second thing we automate third we start to predict what you should be doing so when talking about integration well, i mean one of the dirty secrets right is like and this is with anything in business there's the sausage making and there's the sausage and so when you're in consulting you generally end up presenting this beautiful deck after 6 months The client does not care what it took you to get that deck done. If it's design, website, whatever it is, all they care about is that that final deliverable looks beautiful and it's what they expected. So when it comes to client operations, you might have a client on Trello, Microsoft Teams, you name it. In most working teams that I've done, especially within large Fortune 500s, it usually happens through email. And so what VentureL does is it says, listen, we recognize the scenarios that you need to solve for. You need to have a project brief. You need to have a statement of work or a proposal document. You need to delegate tasks between fellow freelancers. You need quality assurance so that when this freelancer finishes the design, you can go in and make sure you approve that. You need to bill your fellow freelancers. All this stuff is happening in the back end, right? And a lot of this is actually happening in, in your own webs through email and very, very manually, usually through spreadsheets, actually. So what we do at VentureL is we say, OK, let's put everything under one roof. So our project workspaces encapsulate everything that used to be doing you know through email and through spreadsheets. The second thing, like I mentioned, is, is we start to automate. And so we say, all right, it's pretty consistent that when you do a website project, 80% of the tasks are the same. Most of the files are the same. And each new project, the fo- this client collateral should be dragged over, this uh, design kit should be dragged over. So we start to automate a lot of the connections that you just keep having to do manually. Third thing is we then start to predict and, and sort of help you get better. And so good great example here is if you're a new designer or a designer that's new to freelancing, you probably don't have a statement of work. So then we start to provide based off the data that we have of, okay, this is what a good statement of work looks like even down to the level of, hey, you should probably send your client a ping just telling them this is what happened last week. And so we give templates of you know, a good delivery template to your client to say, this is what had happened. I think within freelancing, one of the things that's tough, and this is why I like to say, like, you don't need us, but your life's gonna get better with us, is just because like, freelancers are warriors, they're heroes, and they're totally on their own. And so they think of the most creative solutions, but there's not much sharing. And so really, you know, that's what we, at the end of the day, what we really do is we
0: finally enable a platform where freelancers can share everything between each other and collectively get better. That's really interesting. That's the first time I've heard that In ter- because, I mean, that's essentially what my tribe does in my... Brand Design Masters Facebook group, that's, you know, they, and my masterminds that I run is that they share those resources and best practices with each other so they can all get better and they adopt them when it fits into their particular business. How does the platform um, facilitate that between, you know, what could be hundreds or thousands of freelancers on the platform to share best practices or things that work for them that others can utilize or that they could access from other people to bring into their business? How do you break down those walls, essentially, between the freelancers on the platform? I'll
1: give you the problem, right? I'll give you the the nightmare of that, that we're, we're, we'll make sure will never, ever happen. This can't turn into a LinkedIn or just a f- freelance platform that has 16 million freelancers that, you know, of that only 2,000 are working and it just turns into a bunch of noise and crap. And so number one, that's what we'll make sure does not happen is that you have a bunch of connections that you don't know, a bunch of people that you don't know. Uh, this will always be something that at its core, we're all about your trusted freelance, your deep freelancer networks. Now, when I think about sort of what I love about freelancing, the number one thing is relationships. And when I think about relationships, I top out at around 50 to 70 relationships. And so when I think about VentureL and my freelancer network, it tops there. And so at its core, sort of a, a, a fundamental decision that we've made is that it's not about having more friends, right? This is not the Facebook when you had like five thousand friends, then people realize that person only actually has two in real life. <laughs> this this is high density, very very deep relationships and very deep networks, and so that's like at its core, right? That's how we believe. And and listen, we might in a year, or two years, we might turn around and be like, wow, we were totally wrong about that. But based off of sort of you know ten plus years of looking at like market dynamics and and, and network dynamics and realizing that, oh no, this can't be another Facebook in terms of no one actually knows each other. um, We're kind of the opposite of, we are 100% one-sided, very, very deep networks. Now, when it comes down to, and I think that's the first pillar. The second pillar is we, how do I say this in a nice way? We really, 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 really incentivize the people that are actually doing the work to get the credit. I think one of the things that I walked away so bitter about corporate America and even a lot of kind of I don't I don't want to say thought leadership, but in, and we've talked about this is there's so many people that have a microphone that quite frankly we should see their actual past of if they're good or not. And when I think about corporate America, it turns into usually a director or a GM that just put their name on something but didn't do any of it. And so the second pillar for us in terms of, you know, we number one, we have the trusted networks, number two. We're very, very, very serious about making sure that whoever does the work gets the credit. And so, when it comes down to you know sharing templates, you name it, it's going to be very, very relationship driven. And we're going to try to figure out ways that we make sure that the sort of merit belongs to the person that actually does the work. Now, you know, talk to me in a year, and two years, like I said, we might, we might. I don't, I don't believe we would have pivoted because we've you know baked these fundamental decisions into the platform. But I think those are two things that, quite frankly, technology is missing. Um, that from the start, we're making sure to bake in.
0: So is is VentureL live now?
1: We are. Yeah, we've had okay. uh, 60 onboarded freelancers that we are, and like I mentioned, we're building feature by feature. So we do have a very hyper-vetted sort of uh, shortlist that we're working with. Um, we're also driving the community, but it's, it's all about collaboration. So every single person that we talk to, we make sure that we're having good, um, how, do I, how do I say it? Proportions of you know, number of designers, level of designers. What I'm most proud of actually is the global reach. And so we have every single continent besides South America. I hope next time we talk, we have South America. That I'm not gonna lie, that really bugs me that we don't have South America. I, I don't know why. Um, but yeah, so so we're live, we're running, we're not sleeping that much. We're gonna get better at that. That's the number one thing we need to work on. In terms of when we'll fully open it up, uh, we love the fact that we get to build every feature with our freelancers. Uh, there's there's no better feeling than really really building with them, you know, hand hand in hand, and being able to say, Hey, remember that thing you told us two weeks ago? Here it is. And then they usually go, This isn't what I was talking about, but still, we tried.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, and it sounds like you are following the classic software, minimum viable product kind of approach, which is that you're building, iterating, getting feedback, changing. So you're not building something that people aren't going to use, and you're not getting too deep into something or spending too much money on something that is a feature people aren't going to use. So would you say that's kind of how you're approaching it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I would say the one thing that I would add on is that one intentional decision that sort of we made early on. Was actually our development team, so our CTO didn't freelance. And at first, I was like very morally torn about this because I was like, "Oh no, like is is going to be a bad thing if we don't have freelancing experience?" But sort of one I think advantage that we have is that because we chose not to have a freelancing lens, we can think of ideas that are outside of the box, and that'll really move the needle for freelancers in five to ten years. And where this gets tangible is we've made a lot of backend data architecture decisions. That if we had a lens of this is how it's this is how it's always been done, there's no way we would have been able to make some of these feats. And like one of the things that actually I just got off a meeting with with our development team, and they actually just, they showed me one of our upcoming features, and I mean it was beautiful. It literally took away. I mean we I'd been trying to do this at past ten companies for for over a year. It took away so much friction, and I just do not think that if we had replicated prior prior mm. thought, that we would have be been able to do it. So that, that'd be one thing I'd add: is we very intentionally made sure we have diversity in thought uh, outside of the freelance industry.
0: Hey, everyone! I'm sure you've heard lots of marketers and creative pros and content creators say these words: everything is going to video. So if you aren't already doing video, you really should be. But don't be fooled. Creating great video can be hard and super time-consuming, but it doesn't have to be. I have an amazing resource my team and I use for YouTube videos and my agency's client work that totally rocks. It's called InVideo, I-N-V-I-D-E-O. InVideo is an online video editor that helps you make professional-looking videos from a huge collection of templates, images, and music available to use royalty-free in your videos right on the platform. Within video, you can stop spending thousands of dollars on outsourcing video creation and motion graphics. You can speed up and improve your video creation and editing process with their video templates and easy-to-use interface. There's no need to spend months learning Adobe Premiere or Apple's Final Cut Pro anymore. Just go to this URL, bdmpodcast.com slash invideo. That's bdmpodcast.com slash invideo. And just for listeners of the BDM podcast, if you use the promo code PHILIP50, that's P-H-I-L-I-P 50, you'll get a 50% discount. What? Yes, listeners of the podcast are going to get a 50% discount by using Philip 50. So make sure to check out InVideo today. It'll make your video production and effects a whole lot easier. Just go to bdmpodcast.com slash InVideo. That's bdmpodcast.com slash InVideo. And now back to the show. So you started, you know, you have started your career, or at least your. Your exposure in your career kind of exploded when you were working at Microsoft and th- through upwork, what you did with them. But then since then, you've built quite a significant personal brand presence. I mean, you've you're the CEO of Venture L, you you're now launching a book with a major publisher. It, you, you also speak everywhere, and you've been featured in Forbes, Fortune. How have you become an influencer? What was your path? from that, you know, from that gig at Microsoft and doing that project with Upwork, you know, you came out of that with a lot of experience, but then what were those steps that you took to elevate your your profile and your visibility in the market?
1: I, I don't know. Am I influencer? I really hope people take what I say with a grain of salt and, uh, and, and take it as a, as a maybe, not trust, but I don't know, maybe just, maybe just one data point. I, I think, to be honest, I haven't tried, uh, and I know that sounds totally counterintuitive, but I really haven't tried to be an influencer. I'm actually very, as a person, I'm actually a very private introverted person, which I don't think much most people know. I, I know I'm really good public speaking and, and you know, clearly communicating and articulating, um, but I actually am very, very introverted uh, and just kind of private. Uh, but with that said, I think the thing is, I've always focused on this problem statement, and I've always focused on building deep relationships. And I I think one thing early on that I remember feeling like, and even, you know, people always go through it, is in writing articles and doing speaking and things like that, there's always the tear of, do you do what gets you the most attention or do you do what you think is right? And for me, I don't know what it is. I I just genuinely don't care how many people read my stuff or watch my stuff. I genuinely care about, can this help one person and can this help the people that have really helped me all along? And so that's the number one decision I've kind of always made, uh, and I don't even want to say like it was a conscious, intentional decision. Like I just, I, I've had no other option. I just, I just chose. That. I don't know why. Um, and then, so the, back to the problem statement. I mean, freelancing changed my life. Uh, the, the, there's, there's no way to put it right. Like I, I hit the freelancing bug, and I believe this is the way the world needs to go. I believe that it's the number one way to you know, unlock opportunity for for every single person on the planet. And so I, I just, I have no. Uh, how do I say it? Like my motivation, I I, I can't act like I'm the super disciplined person because I just do what I love every day. Like I'm just motivated to do this, right? So that that was the first thing. The second thing is I'm just a product of the people around me. Uh, I, I really have just made sure that I I put good people around me. I give them everything I have. I trust. I do cut out people that quite frankly, I, I think are not uh, good people around. But I, I think that's been the second thing is I'm just standing on the shoulder of giants. Uh, and, and I really... Uh, I don't want to take credit for myself because there's just been a lot of good people around me. And, and I guess the third thing is make yourself, how do I say it? Make yourself accountable for other people's success. And and I think that's been one thing that I have done really well is I put myself in positions where if I don't succeed, I'm going to let down a lot of people and there's no better driver than, than really, really, really. Uh, yeah. Doing that. I, even with VentureL, if Ventrial doesn't work, I'm going to feel so horrible just for the amount of people that, that we're able to work with and the opportunities we have to change these people's lives. Like, I, I would feel so bad if it didn't make it happen. So that'd be the other thing. And, and yeah, <laughs> I know it's not like the beautiful polished answer.
0: But no, yeah. no, no. What I would say though is if Ventrial doesn't work or it's, you know, every single person involved in it, including yourself, will walk away from that with some of the deepest, most impactful lessons, which will make everything that you do that later, better, and I mean, some of the toughest, ex- toughest experiences and most biggest hurdles I've had in my career have led to a much deeper conviction in what I'm doing, a higher, a, a broader level of experience that's enabled me to help others or to navigate future experiences. So, I'm a firm believer that failure on the face of it is is short lived, and the uh, after effects are are much much greater along that path, you you have a lot of great stuff going on right now. What kind of hurdles or, you know, challenges have you had to overcome?
1: Yeah, I'll be honest. A lot of uh, personal, personal challenges of people who, how do you say it? If you're going to do something big, you're going to get in the way of a lot of people. And a lot of people are going to want to bring you down. And that's totally okay, right? That's not your fault. Uh, I think there's a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of quotes, right? Cheesy quotes that you could put up on your wall about haters or something like that. Um, but I think the the biggest challenge that I've had, quite frankly, is uh, I'm young. And I've definitely... I'm, I'm young, I'm idealistic, and I don't do well at, at hearing no if it's a, a decision that I just deem as immoral or not the right thing to do. And so that's actually been my biggest challenge, to be honest. Uh, something that we briefly touch in the book is you know, my, my first experience actually driving change in a company. Uh, I, I I didn't get kicked out necessarily, but I was too young to actually lead it. And so one of my first experiences was saw a problem uh, in, in under eight months, I think it was, drove over a million dollars in pipeline to create this new opportunity, and then basically got kicked out because I was the young person. Uh, even second thing within a large company, same thing, you drive a bunch of change, but if you don't have, you know, the high titles, it's, it's going to be really tough. So that, that's been the biggest challenge for me actually is outside of bureaucracy it's been easy to drive change and especially because as a freelancer right you're working directly with the client you're not getting slowed down by a you know bureaucratic structure um, but that that's been actually my biggest my biggest challenge quite frankly is uh, dealing with uh, dealing with older egos I'd say uh, and I've gotten really good at, at weeding them out Um but yeah, dealing with older egos, and th- th- to be honest, the way that that I've i that hasn't hurt me necessarily is surrounding me, myself with good people that I actually care about. Like that, that's really been all that's that's what's driven me for everything. Um, for example, my last my last boss actually when I was at Microsoft. Uh, she's the greatest person ever. I ever her the world. And so when I, you know, if I messed up, it wasn't a, oh no, I failed. It was like, oh no, I failed this person that I, I look up to so greatly. And then whenever thing was, every, you know, when things would go bad or things would happen, it was literally like a, hey, what do you think about this? If you're not happy with this, then I'll change. But if you support this, then I'm a go. And all I care about is the people that I care about. So... Yeah, that's been the biggest challenge to be honest, is older egos. And so long as you have the right people around you, who cares what everyone else says?
0: You gotta be careful about those ageist comments when you're talking to a guy who's as gray as I am.
1: <laughs> yeah, I know. There's been great, there's been great older leadership. But, but <laughs> <laughs> but and and they're everywhere. The difference is just that when you're younger, there's not as much.
0: You know, you're totally right. I just interviewed someone recently who was like yeah. Ego on parade. And it doesn't matter how old you are. I've actually worked with some very young people who have egos that are just insurmountable or are incredibly dogmatic and just can't see past themselves, you know, or their their own greatness or perceived greatness. So the experience you were talking about, you know, in terms of you know, having a short corporate experience and then kind of either being pushed out for one reason or another—that was your Microsoft experience. I'm—I'm I'm assuming.
1: No, actually, that was no, no, no. Uh, Mike, I—I'll I, be honest. I actually owe the world to Microsoft in terms of the opportunities they gave me. Um, I can't believe that I was that age and they gave me that much responsibility, uh, and I had the best boss I will ever. You know, she, if she listens to it, Leanne. I mean, yeah, uh, this, this, <laughs> this woman was incredible. I, I, she had me grow as a person in ways that I couldn't even imagine. Uh, I mean, one quick story was I, I worked a little bit too hard uh, and I ended up getting a, mer- a mattress and, and sleeping in the office for a while. And I woke up one morning and there was a toothbrush and deodorant and like, that's, Aww. you know, yeah, like, I mean, come on. That Mama was a bear. Yeah. So no, uh, I, I owe the world. Um, it, it, there was, there's a couple of experiences before. And, and I think here's the thing, right? Even in situations that that happens, you can't blame the people. There, I think that's one of the the takeaways that you know in the book. And one of the things about the book was, like, we didn't want to put our personal experience necessarily fully into it because we didn't want to make it too biased. And then when we were talking to to other changemakers, and it wasn't just younger, so like good call it on your point. Like, it really was just changemakers that weren't sitting in a position like what's the you know in the in the corner office. And the stories that we heard from these people, we couldn't even believe. And so, in the first chapter, actually, a little little plug to get the book because you're going to see something that'll that'll crack you up. We actually play a little Never Have I Ever, and it's it's examples of stuff that we heard from people that have happened to them in corporate, and it just is, it's uh, it's horrible. It's absolutely (laughs) horrible. I mean i i should have it I should have it in front of me right now, so I can read some. Uh, But I'll I'll give the mystique. I'll stay a little mysterious. But um, no, even even in experiences when there's been like horrible, say, corporate or company experiences. I still can't say enough good things about the people that were involved. It's generally usually been the system that's just in the way of creating large change. wasn't a fit. wasn't a fit,
0: yeah, so where do you find where do you find inspiration to keep going every day? You said, you know you love what you're doing and you are passionate, and you obviously are. it's it's apparent in how you talk about stuff. So how do you stay inspired to um you know, stay current, or what? Do, where do you get your information? How do you, you know, open yourself up to to new input? That, that, that's an unloaded question, Philip. Uh, we got how do I
1: keep myself open to new stuff? How do I stay inspired? Yes, all all of it. <laughs> no, so okay. In terms of how do how do I stay inspired? I I'm just in the right spot, right? I'm solving the problem that I want to solve for for the people that I want to solve it for in the way that I want to do that. Uh, I'll be honest, this is the first time that I've matched up all those things, right? It's the right problem. It's the right people. And it's the right method for me to do that. I think something that happened to me early on was I, I'm a product of my grandmother, uh, which is cheesy, but my grandma was, you know, early on, I, I like to say she taught me how to smile and I'll never forget the way that she made others feel. And so when I think about business and entrepreneurship and tech and all that stuff, I really don't think it matters. I think at the end of the day, it's all about making people smile. And, you know, I, the gifts that I've been given to help people make a smile is to be super geeky about technology and software in the freelance economy. And so like, how, how is it, how am I inspired? I, that just gets me going. And, and I don't wake up and like read a motivational book. I'll, I'd be the worst self-help author or like, you know, speakers because I think most of it, I, I just, I, I don't know, but, but I, yeah. So to me, that's what really inspires me is, is my grandma did teach me just make people smile, leave the world a better place. And when I look at technology software in the freelance economy, I don't know. Is, is there a better way to do that? Like, there probably is a better way to do that. I, I wish I could open up a surf school, actually. That'd be super cool. Or like open a coffee shop, but uh, I probably wouldn't be too good at that.
0: <laughs> but so there's my why. Maybe, maybe that comes on the on on the tail of Venturel. Either that or there's a VentureL like coffee shop expansion project.
1: If we can do a venturel coffee shop, I would uh I would love to tell the board, like, hey everyone, guess what? We're opening up a coffee shop. Then I would start sounding like uh, I mean, come on, this is like two years ago, Adam Newman, right? The We're going to have we schools, we we life and everything. So I don't think... Oh, I know,
0: right? Oh, brother. (laughs) I mean, when you talk about the relationships, that actually be... you know, If you talk about brand positioning and being true to your purpose, that actually would be very aligned to that. I mean, having either physical meetups that are like big group coffee conferences of all the VentureL freelancers where you get to actually meet and shake hands and hug eventually someday after COVID passes us by.
1: (laughs) My... Order of priorities in terms of where to put where to put money. And I my team cracks up at me. But uh, the first thing is t-shirts, right? You got to have cool t-shirts. Everyone's got to wear the cool t-shirts. They got to feel proud of them. But the second thing is exactly what you're talking about, meetups. And and my team kind of wants to kill me because every time our freelancers start interacting I'm, and they're in the same city, I'm like, go get a pint. We'll pay for it. And my team is just like, did you look at the budget? <laughs> and I'm like, my bad. Uh, but no, I, I totally believe that. And I think it leads into something that we, you know, we wanted to talk about in terms of what's going to be the impact of remote, right? Is this going to be a world where we're forever remote? And I don't think so. I think that this actually has placed a a, a heightened importance of having an office, but it's shifted what that importance means from being just a place that you have to go to a place that you want to go to because we want belonging, we want community, mm. we want to be with the people that we want to be with. And so I actually do think, you know, what you talked about with meetups, one thing that we have talked about and listen, we're not there now. So I I, would, I wish I could promise this, but we actually want the ability to create sort of location-based offices where freelancers say, because I'm a venture freelancer, I have access to this office. And it is, it's kind of like we work, right? But um, no, I, I think with, with this COVID situation, this doesn't get rid of uh, offices at all. And if you're a real estate company, actually, I was helping on a real estate company six, six months ago, I think it was. And it was all about the shift to collaboration versus just having a bunch of cubicles.
0: This has been great conversation, Matthew. I really, really appreciate it. It's been awesome. Um, we could go on and on. But I'd love to ask you the question that I ask everybody at the end of the podcast, which is, do you have a personal manifesto or a mantra that you try to live your life by?
1: yeah, just leave the world a better place. <laughs> that's that's it. Uh, the, the sort of the three ways I do that is is VentureL. So if anyone's interested in VentureL, that's the, you know, the number one driver for that. Second thing is the book. And so if anyone's interested in being a change maker and, and interested in how, uh, that's the book. And then the third thing I do, which I actually don't tell, tell people about too much. So I uh, thanks for giving me the opportunity to talk about it, is I, I run a little scholarship from my local high school. Uh, one thing, I guess, one of my personal manifestos is... I, I should, I should answer it this way, but, uh, I, I want to make my hometown proud. Uh, I'm a small town boy. Um, you know, I will admit I love country music, um, but i really, really belong to the small town and my hometown. I owe the world to that place. Uh, but I run a little scholarship
0: where we what give, small town. You, know, you have to tell what
1: it's called Newburyport. It's outside of, it's an hour outside of Boston, little beach okay. town. Uh, it's the best place ever. if, if. Okay, there's two things. If you really want to woe me, it's golden retrievers in my hometown. If you tell me those two things, I'll be like, yeah, cool, it's partner. <laughs> how can I? How can I buy? <laughs> but no, that that's sort of my personal manifesto. is yeah, leave the world a better place. Those are the three ways I do it. And I, I think it's it's funny. I could care less how much money I make, but I, I think that when everyone asks like, what's what are you most proud of? Actually, it's that scholarship, which really is not that much money. But it just I I don't know. That's that's my that's my thing. <laughs>
0: That's awesome. That's absolutely awesome. So you mentioned the book, you mentioned uh, VentureL. You're going to have to give some URLs out now. So you're going to have to make it real for people.
1: Yeah. So VentureL.io with the human cloud, humancloudbook.com. You can also go straight to Amazon. Uh, If you want my scholarship, humancloudbook.com slash new report, but I don't think you're going to remember that one. That's okay. It's only high school, new report high school students. We'll put it in the show notes. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And feel free to reach out to me over LinkedIn. Uh, Happy to connect there.
0: Matthew, it's a pleasure talking to you today. Good luck with all of your endeavors and um, hope you'll come back and talk to us again soon. Can't wait.
1: Thank you, Philip and everyone.
0: If you'd like to help support the Brand Design Masters podcast, please rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Also, if you want to stay up to date on all our content, products, courses, and live video shows, head over to philipvandusen.com slash muse and sign up for the brand muse newsletter that's where we share all the latest news resources articles books and videos that we recommend to help you build and improve your creative practice personal brand and business that's philipvandusen.com slash muse m-u-s-e thanks again for listening bye for now